Subscribe to Inclusion Revolution Radio wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Matt Lombardo Show, part of the Stacking the Box podcast. Please welcome your host, Matt Lombardo. All right, welcome on into the Matt Lombardo Show inside fan-sided Stacking the Box podcast feed. I'm Matt Lombardo, and as always, you can follow me on Twitter at Matt Lombardo NFL. And we have an action-packed show on tap for you this afternoon. A little bit later on, we'll check in with arguably the premier offensive line guru in football, Duke Mannyweather, to get his thoughts on this year's rookie class among offensive tackles, last year's rookie offensive tackles as they prepare for their second year and some surprising thoughts from Duke on who the best offensive lines in the league are today and we have a whole lot more to get into but before we do as always a little bit of housekeeping for you if you like what you hear I'd really love it if you would go into the Apple podcast store or on Spotify and search for stacking the box and NFL podcast subscribe to stacking the box and after you subscribe please go ahead and leave a five-star review for the Matt Lombardo show it really helps grow the show and lets me know what you like what you don't like if you have a guest in mind that you'd like me to have on the program write them in that review let me know who you'd like to hear from and i'll try to go and get them on the podcast but before we talk to duke before we get into everyone else and everything else the biggest story in the NFL right now is Tim Tebow and the Jacksonville Jaguars. And on Friday afternoon, the Jaguars signed Tebow to a one-year $950,000 minimum deal as a tight end. His jersey makes up the top five selling items on the NFLshop.com store. Now figure that out. And to me, Urban Meyer's really running the risk of losing his locker room here. Because if you talk to people inside the league, if you talk to executives and other coaches, there's a lot of genuine skepticism over Urban Meyer becoming an NFL head coach generally. And there's a sense that it's far more likely that he flames out and never wins a playoff game than it is that he winds up winning a Super Bowl. And this experiment, bringing in Tim Tebow, not necessarily even as a quarterback, you have Trevor Lawrence there, but bringing Tim Tebow into that locker room in 2021 and and having him sing for his supper as a tight end, there's a belief that Meyer runs the chance inside the league of losing his locker room before this season even begins. And I have no issue with Tim Tebow, the person. Let's get that out of the way right here and right now. Tim Tebow is a charitable human being. He's done a lot of good for humanity. He's done a lot of good for kids and students with special needs. And nobody can ever take that away from him. And his contributions to society, they're not debatable. They are what they are, and they're tremendous things. He's one of the greatest college football quarterbacks to ever play the game. In college football. But that doesn't make him an NFL quarterback. That doesn't make him an NFL football player, especially when you look at his career, that he was a fringe NFL player, even though he was a first round pick coming out of Florida. Now, there are first round picks who flame out and are busts and are out of the league in two to three years time or their career backups and they cash a paycheck as a player who's at the bottom of depth charts for several teams. That hasn't necessarily been Tim Tebow's route, but this is a guy who has a career 47.9% completion percentage. He's a 47.9% passer with 17 touchdowns and 9 interceptions. Now, if his name is Tim Thomas, or his name is Tim Jones, or his name is Tim Smith, Tim Tebow's out of this league in August of 2011. That's just how it goes. He doesn't make a roster after that rookie season with the Denver Broncos if he was not Tim Tebow, if he didn't have the following on social media, if he wasn't the college football player that he was at Florida. 
problem here is that Tim Tebow was a fringe player from the moment he arrived in the NFL. And here we have Urban Meyer dedicating a roster spot, allocating a roster spot over the spring and summer through mini camps into training camp, and maybe even beyond that. Who knows what happens with the on-field competition? And if he winds up being a guy in training camp who, you know, he, he winds up being a, a tight end who can contribute and he can block and he can catch passes, great. If he wins the roster spot, great. So be it good for Tim Tebow. But here's the problem, that Tim Tebow has accomplished nothing in the NFL. Tim Tebow has done nothing to show you or indicate that he has any business being an NFL tight end. There were people in the Eagles locker room. There were players. I was there in 2015 every single day during training camp. There were players that loved Tim Tebow the person, thought he was a character, thought he was an upstanding guy, but wondered what the hell he was doing there on their roster. And that was six years ago. But here we are in 2021 with another head coach bringing in Tim Tebow into a roster that's rebuilding. And, you know, I understand the Jaguars are taking a chance here, but they're also trying to be a rebuilding franchise. They're also in a division that's relatively wide open, especially if Deshaun Watson isn't behind center for the Houston Texans. You look at the Tennessee Titans, I think that they're obviously the class of that division, but they have issues. They can't seem to win big games. They can't seem to get over the hump of a first or second round playoff game. Who knows what Carson Wentz is with the Indianapolis Colts. There's a lot of young talent there on both sides of the ball. But if you look at the AFC South, I don't think the gap is all that wide between the rest of the division and the Jacksonville Jaguars, especially if Trevor Lawrence winds up being what the Jaguars hope Trevor Lawrence can develop into and what a lot of people believe he is in terms of being a generational quarterback prospect. If you're a Jaguars player right now and you're looking around and you just happen to scroll on your phone and look at who the top free agent tight ends are, what do you think when you see the Trey Burton sitting there? What do you think Trey Burton is thinking? He's a guy who played at Florida just like Tim Tebow did. Now, obviously, four years after Urban Meyer was gone and at Ohio State, but he played at Florida. He has a Super Bowl ring on his finger as a tight end. If you're Tyler Eifert, what are you thinking? If you're Jesse James, a relatively accomplished NFL tight end, what are you thinking seeing what's happening in Jacksonville with Tim Tebow? And if you're the Jaguars and if you're Urban Meyer, what are you doing here? Especially when you can pick up the phone and call the Philadelphia Eagles and offer an asset, offer a draft pick for Zach Ertz. The Eagles moved on emotionally and mentally from Zach Ertz last year. They're all in on Dallas Goddard. And right now, Zach Ertz is probably on the back end of the prime of his career, but he's still in his prime. He's still a guy that can catch you 55, 60 balls. He's still a guy that has no qualms about going over the middle. He's the perfect weapon down the seam for a young quarterback like Trevor Lawrence, and he can stretch the field a little bit. You know, pairing Zach Ertz in that offense with guys like DJ Chark and LaVishka Chenault and with Tra Travis Etienne coming in, you have some weapons there. But to me, it just doesn't make any sense why you would bring Tim Tebow into that locker room. It doesn't make any sense to have Tim Tebow taking up a roster spot where you can have an accomplished tight end like Ertz, like Burton, like Eifert, or like James. That's at the root of this. It's not irrational Tim Tebow hate like some people, especially on the right of the political spectrum, would make you think that it is. It's just the rational thought that Tim Tebow's upside doesn't come close to what Ertz or Eifert or Burton or James would bring you. That's the concern here. And that's when you talk to people inside the league that are increasingly skeptical about Urban Meyer. 
that's what they're worried about in terms of what Meyer and the Jaguars are doing. It just doesn't make any sense. And another team and their actions that aren't making a whole lot of sense now are the Chicago Bears and head coach Matt Nagy. Because this week, Matt Nagy came out, and obviously he's in a win-or-else, win-or-lose-your-job type of situation in Chicago. But Nagy came out and essentially committed to Andy Dalton as the starting quarterback this week, which I think is just bonkers. Especially when, in the NFL draft, you traded a future first-round pick to go up and take Justin Fields out of Ohio State number 11 overall. Justin Fields is your future. Even if Matt Nagy and GM Ryan Pace aren't, they're certainly hoping that Justin Fields shows enough this year, this season, not just to save their jobs, but to position the Bears to go back to the playoffs again and maybe win a playoff game and show that there can be some promise with this quarterback in that franchise. And I think that Justin Fields has that ability. I think that when you watch him, he can make all the throws. He's won a lot of big games at Ohio State. He's not your typical Ohio State quarterback. He committed to Penn State, transferred to, decommitted to Penn State rather, went to Georgia, you know, faced a lot of adversity in Georgia, overcame it at Ohio State, won big games, has all the arm strength, has all the accuracy, can throw on the run, is mobile, and you're going to put him on the bench holding a clipboard behind Andy Dalton? Andy Dalton, who was on the back nine, probably the back three holes of his NFL career? A guy who's a backup? An accomplished guy, a former first-round pick. I get it. But at this stage, he's just a placeholder in an era where if you're taking a quarterback in the top 15 picks and you're trading a future first-round pick to go and get him, those quarterbacks are, are playing immediately. They're not holding clipboards. They're not watching and learning behind the scenes. But if you're going to do this, if you're going to commit to Andy Dalton playing week one, I really think that Justin Fields needs to be on the field week four against the Detroit Lions. Now, Detroit feels like a soft landing spot. I know they're a division rival. I know that their new head coach, Dan Campbell, is trying to establish an attitude and a toughness and a physicality in Detroit. But in terms of what the Bears are and in terms of what the Lions are at this moment, and it's a home game at Soldier Field, I really think that's the play. I think that's the game that if you're not starting Justin Fields week one, Justin Fields should play week four against the Lions. It's a great matchup. It's his first taste of NFC North football. And the following week, you go on the road against Las Vegas. A nice team. The Raiders have some real talent on offense, and they have Khalil Mack, and they made a big move this offseason, you know, signing Yannick Ngakwe. So they have a couple of pass rushers. But it's not like you're playing the... 2000 Baltimore Ravens or the 1985 Bears or the 91 Eagles. It's a nice defense, not an elite defense. And, you know, the the Bears versus Lions game comes one week after you played a Super Bowl caliber Cleveland Browns franchise on the road. So you're not throwing them to the Wolves. You're coming off a really physical, grueling game on the road, and you're coming home against a division opponent. And the following week, after the Vegas game, Yeah, you have the Green Bay Packers at home, and if Aaron Rodgers is still in Green Bay, that's a daunting task. I get it. But this is the NFL, and you're going to face 17 daunting tasks every single year, every single season. So you can't necessarily pick and choose your spots because you're going to have tough teams on the schedule every week. But if Aaron Rodgers is not there, if Aaron Rodgers is in Denver or in Las Vegas or in any number of teams that are still looking to trade for quarterbacks, Washington potentially. If that's just the Packers and it's Jordan Love or it's Drew Lockett quarterback, well, week five 
Week six, rather, Justin Fields against Jordan Love or Drew Locke, that could represent a changing of the guard in the NFC North. So if you're not locked into Justin Fields week one, if you're the Bears, I think you have to play him in week four against the Lions. Big show. Keep it locked in. Right here on the other side, we'll chat with Duke Mannyweather, get his thoughts on some of the top offensive linemen and the top offensive lines in the NFL right here on the Matt Lombardo Show inside Fansided Stacking the Box podcast feed. Break news. This important PSA is brought to you by Manscaped.com. This is your pubic service announcement and the news you've been waiting for. The Manscaped engineering team has confirmed that they have successfully created the Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer, which is now available for purchase in the United States and in Canada. This new trimmer was just released only moments ago, and we're one of the first few to get our hands on it and share the news. Join over 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer just for you. 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code FANSIDED20 at manscaped.com. What makes this trimmer so different from all the other trimmers on the market? Well, there's a new multifunction on-off switch that can engage a travel lock created for people who like to travel. The Lawnmower 4.0 also gives the ability to turn on a 4000K LED spotlight when needed for a far more precision shave. The new trimmer even allows you to customize your trim through an additional guard lengths, which now range from sizes 1 to 4. Looks-wise, it's sleek with a two-tone matte and gloss finish that even features a hot fail-stamped black chrome Manscaped logo. Show the mower off loud and proud. The optimized lawnmower 4.0 trimmer is waterproof so you can groom in the shower and not have to worry about making a mess on the bathroom floor. And did I mention wireless charging? The lawnmower 4.0's new wireless charging system uses electromagnetic induction which can help battery length last even longer. If you're still trimming your face with your ball trimmer, what the heck are you doing? It's time to change it up and stop being so gross. Get 20% off and free shipping with promo code FANSIDED20 at manscaped.com. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code FANSIDED20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com using the promo code FANSIDED20. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. Underdog Fantasy is the fastest-growing fantasy app and easiest place to play fantasy sports. Just jump on underdogfantasy.com or download the app, draft your team, and that's it. And if drafts aren't your thing, they also have a pick'em game where you can win 20 times your money in a single night. Use promo code RADIO, and Underdog will double your first deposit when you sign up with up to $100 in bonus cash. Deposit $100? Get $100 free. That's promo code RADIO. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome back into the Matt Lombardo Show, and this is a conversation I'm really looking forward to, and and maybe it's just the football nerd in me, but I kind of love getting down and dirty in the trenches and talking offensive line, and nobody better to do that with than Duke Mannyweather. You can find him on Twitter, at BigDuke50, of course, he of OL Masterminds, and of course, one of the premier offensive line gurus out there. Duke, how you doing, man? I'm doing well, Matt. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to to be on and uh, to connect with you and talk ball. Awesome. Me too. Now I'm going to throw a pancake block at you right out of the chute here. When you look around the league right now, who's the best offensive line as a unit, as a team going into 2021 in this league? That's a great question. Um, I think what a lot of teams did to revamp their O-line are going to prove to be, uh, you know, I think the jury's still going to be out, but you got to like, you got to like New Orleans. I think New Orleans, 
last year played really well. I think Teron Armstead showed that he was, uh, you know, arguably one of the best tackles in the league, if not the best last year. Um, so I like New Orleans. And then I like Green Bay as well. I think that uh, what Green Bay did on a consistent manner last year was really impressive. Now, the thing is, is that David Bakhtiari will be coming off a torn ACL. And then they lost Corey Lindsley. So yeah. um, they've got a couple of different other pieces that they could probably plug in and and and, and, and be, um, you know, maybe back to the level that they were at. But there is a little uncertainty. But I, I liked what I saw from Green Bay last year. Um, and then I think that um, kind of as expected and as the team went, um, Tampa Bay really showed that, you know, they were one of the, the, the better offensive line in the league, especially the way they finished um, the season. You know, they're going to have everybody coming back. I think that line is, um, you know, anchored in the center by center Ryan Jensen, who in my opinion is the best center in the league last couple of years, kind of goes uh, it goes very recognized by opposing teams and opposing fans and opposing opponents because of what he does and his, his uh, physical mindset. But I really like what Tampa Bay did. But then there's some other units, some other teams that made some really, really, really um, key upgrades. I think you have to be intrigued with uh, what they did up in, um, you know, with the Jets, with adding uh, Vera Tucker with a line that already has. Uh, Makai Becton, they invested some draft capital last year and some free agency capital last year in that line. I think that when John Benton, as their O-line coach, I think you'll see that that unit improve as well. Um, I like what the Chargers did with, in free agency. You know, they've got Brian Balaga that they went out and got last year that'll be playing right tackle, who when it's healthy is one of the top five tackles in the league, especially a right tackle. They added a, a hired gun and a true professional in Odea Bushi, who will probably start in Pennsylvania at right guard. We talked about Corey Lindsley uh, from Green Bay. He's coming over from Green Bay to L.A. for the Chargers. Matt Filer is filling in there from at probably be starting at left guard. Um, played a lot of football in Pittsburgh at right tackle and at left guard. So you kind of got to like uh, what you got in Filer. And then, you know, they drafted Rashawn Slater 13th overall. So I think those upgrades to that Chargers O-line uh, will prove to be very valuable. Um, and th- right off the top of my head, those are some of the O-lines I'm intrigued to see. I'm intrigued to see a healthy Dallas O-line again. Yeah. Uh, Lyons back at right tackle. Zach Martin at right guard, still one of the best to do it. Um, and then, you know, you've got uh, Tyler Biotish, who showed last year when he was healthy that he can be a viable and solid starter at center. Um, I think we saw improvement from Connor Williams last year at left guard. There will be competition there. Uh, but another year under his belt with, uh, you know, uh, continuity at the coaching. Uh, got, like a guy like Connor, uh, who was just kind of finding his way in the league, moved to a new position, was at left tackle in college, moved into guard, had three or four different coaches in his three years, moved into a new position and had to deal with injury. So I'm looking for a big year for Connor Williams and then uh, the return of uh, Tyron Smith. You know, it's funny you bring up the Chargers and the Jets, Duke, because I look at them and I feel like they're two franchises that are doing their rebuild exactly right. You go out and you get, 
Justin Herbert in LA, and then you fortify the offensive line in front of him. You look at the Jets. Last year, you get Mekhi Beckton, which you alluded to. You get Vera Tucker in this year's draft. You get your franchise quarterback, you hope, in Zach Wilson. But it seems like those two franchises are doing the smart, forward-thinking thing of tying their quarterback to their offensive line rebuild. And I think that if you're going to be in a situation where you need to address the quarterback, you better be simultaneously addressing the offensive line if you want to have success in this year in, in this league. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So I'm interested to see, uh, you know, exactly how fast um, those, um, you know, what is the ROI? You know, right. what is that re- investment really going to cash in and be, uh, you know, be dividends? So I'm excited about to see exactly how that goes. And then I tell you the other team I'm excited about because they completely overhauled their own line is at Kansas city. Uh, Kansas city went out and was bold and released both of their starting tackles from the previous super bowl, um, which I think was not popular at the time, but they continued to show that they had a plan and they went out and they were aggressive in free agency. Um, you know, they got the deal done for Orlando Brown. They added a tonny. Um, you know, all of a sudden you got Joe Tooney, you got uh, Orlando Brown, and then they draft Creed Humphreys, and all of a sudden you sign Kyle Long. And all of a sudden, oh, wow, Trey Smith, who many people thought was going to be a first or second rounder, fell to you in the sixth round because of medical. And then you start to look at the competition now, and there's going to be a very competitive O-line room with a lot of talent there uh, in that O-line room. So it's intriguing. And the X factor with all that talent, all that uh, competition in that O-line room is that they've got one hell of a coach in Andy Heck that has a tremendous track record for development and getting the most out of offensive linemen. Absolutely. And I think that what you saw in the Super Bowl was, you know, not necessarily the blueprint on how to beat the Chiefs long term, but with all of the issues with Mahomes not being 100% mobile, all of the issues and the injuries up front, it, it seemed as though... Brett Veach, the Chiefs general manager, saw what happened, saw that that was their weakness, and went out and fixed it. You know, based on everything they did, the Orlando Brown trade, Joe Thune, the draft picks, did they do enough, Duke, to make sure that that never happens again, barring a similar catastrophe where you have four new starters in a Super Bowl against one of the best front sevens in football? Did they do enough to make sure that that sort of embarrassment doesn't happen again to them? They definitely did enough. They definitely did enough. I think that, you know, you still, we don't know a whole lot about, uh, um, you know, who they're going to have starting at right tackle. I think that many people believe that you've kind of got the answers already in the room. But as I look at it, um, you know, there's some viable options there. There's some viable options for uh, Kansas City to fill in at right tackle because right off the bat, one thing that you got to realize is that from that room in Kansas City, you've already got um, you know, potentially Mike Remmers, who's already signed. And then you got to like Lucas Ning. I mean, we don't know a whole lot about Lucas. Um, we know that they believed in him um, in the in the third round last year, um, but had battled some injury uh, while he was at TCU. I think battled a little injury last year, so never quite made it onto the field. But you got a solid veteran uh, option at Mike Remmers for, to start at right tackle. Um, Kyle Long has had some experience playing tackle as well. You know, it could be a situation where he slides out to right tackle and maybe you move, um, you know, a Creed Humphrey or uh, uh, LTD in there. You just, I think there's a lot of options, a lot of options. 
to answer your question, I think that Brett Beach and the organization did exactly what they needed to do to kind of uh, avoid and really to protect number 15. And that's that's what's most important, right? Especially when you have the best quarterback walking the planet behind center for you. You know, and there's another team in Philadelphia that for a long time, for a two or three year stretch, they had the best and most dominant offensive line in the league, helped them win a Super Bowl. And for a stretch, maybe even still, Lane Johnson was the best right tackle in football. You know, when you look at Lane Johnson and his career arc, where do you see him right now? And how much better do you think he's going to be in 2021, being as hungry as he is coming off of a loss season? Man, you know what? Uh, Lane is rare, man, because he went out there last year and attempted to give everything that he had. And I, Lane did everything around the clock to take care of his body and to be available to Philly. Um, he would be in the boot and can't walk during the week. And then he would trot his ass out there and line it up, put his hand on the ground and do the best he could. Uh, it set very sour with Lang last year that he had to shut it down. Um, but the injury that he, re- that he sustained in 20, um, and 2019, um, was, was pretty significant. Um, if you go back and look at that against, uh, the Giants on that Monday night football game, it's amazing that he didn't tear everything in his knee, his quad and patella, that it was an ankle injury that has just kind of lingered along and that he's had to have several procedures on. Um, but it is just a testament to how much work he does to keep his mobility and flexibility that he avoided anything in the knee uh, happening as well. Um, but I think you're going to see Elaine Johnson that's going to return back to form. Um, he's kind of done some new things uh, with his training and mobility and just uh, make sure that he's, his body is right. Uh, so I'm excited to see Lane get back on the field. And just for that entire unit to be healthy, um, when you got Brandon Brooks and Kelsey and Lane um, all hitting on the same cylinder, you add in a uh, Isaac Siomalu at left guard, and then, you know, there'll be competition at that left tackle spot amongst a couple of guys. I think you've got a really good unit there that has an opportunity to turn back into one of those dominant forms. And Duke, let's switch gears just for a second here and look back at last year's rookie class of tackles. And just at the top of the board, you know, you talk about some of the guys that came off. Of course, Andrew Thomas went number four overall. We talked about Makai Becton a little bit and his value and meaning and importance to the Jets. And then, of course, there's Tristan Wirfs, who walked right in and was instrumental to the Buccaneers winning a Super Bowl. When you look at last year's first round tackles, who's the best of the bunch and who stands out to you that has the brightest chance and the brightest future? I mean, you can't go wrong with any of those guys. As I told everybody last year, it's really all ice cream in terms of uh, what flavor you like <laughs> when you walk into the store. You know, it's all going to be sweet. Um, Jedrick Wills played really well last year. Andrew Thomas improved. Um, you know, Tristan Wirfs was lights out. Makai Beckton was physically dominant. Um, you know, you got to like what Wirfs put on tape last year as a rookie, arguably the best right tackle in the league last year um, and should have been first team all pro in my opinion. Um, but then you look at the flashes that Makai Beck- Beckton had, even while battling the shoulder injury, um, you got to like what, what you see from him. Jedrick Wills, smooth, moved to a new position, playing left tackle uh, and with, was solid. Had a couple of down games, but you expect that to happen for a rookie. You expect that to, 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 to be the case. Um, but out of that group, you know, I think Wirfs is going to have a career that we look back and he'll make a couple of Pro Bowls and All-Pro. 
uh, consistently throughout his year. That puts you in the Hall that, of Fame conversation, Duke. Yeah, when you think about it, when absolutely. you think about going to three, absolutely. four Pro Bowls, three, four All Pros, that could yeah. be a Gold Jacket situation for him. Absolutely. And then you look at Makai Becton. I think that you look at what Makai Becton brings. If that Jets offense turns around, that team turns around, um, and I think if you stay. If he stays healthy, he could potentially be one of the best tackles to ever play the game. I mean, you look at him with that size, those traits. Uh, I remember coming in, the big knock, everybody, oh, he's too big, he can't pass protect. Louisville never had him do it. And then all of a sudden he gets in the NFL and he's locking people up. You know, his first six weeks, you look at the rushes that he had to play and face, and, you know, they were kind of non-existent when you kind of looked at what the production looked like. So, uh, you know, Beckton's got an opportunity if he stays healthy, um, keeps his weight in check, um, you know, to be one of the best to ever do it. You're talking about an Orlando Pace, Jonathan Ogden type physical dominance. You see what he does to people. It's just it's not normal. There's not people out there that is doing that to NFL players. <laughs> I mean, that's as high praise as you can get. Right. <laughs> and let's just steer in on that a little bit. It's, it's it's on tape. I mean, yeah. If you if you can show me another offensive lineman that consistently, physically punishes and dominates people throughout the course of a year, show it to me. There's only one person that really did it last year, and that was Makai Beckett. I mean, it's just for a guy that's six eight and three hundred and sixty five, three hundred seventy pounds. The way he moves, the power that he possesses, the balance he has is pretty rare, man. Let's zoom in on that just a little bit here, because you look across the parking lot, the neighbor at MetLife Stadium, the Giants, they take Andrew Thomas at number four. What are your thoughts on Thomas's outlook for his career? And, and when you think about those two playing in the same market, it almost feels like th this is the conversation that people should be having rather than the old debates of Saquon Barkley or Sam Darnold at number two for the Giants, because these are two guys chosen in the same draft class. And if Mekhi Becton goes on to play and wind up in Canton, Andrew Thomas has to be on that level for that to be looking like a, a, a correct pick for the Giants, right? Yeah, especially at number four. But I think you'll see uh, mass improvement from Andrew Thomas. I think that Andrew Thomas, towards the end of the year last year, found his way, got into a groove. Um, that Giants offensive line and team dealt with some adversity last year, with not only with injuries, but went, went on with the coaching change midway through the year and the drama surrounding that. Um, you add in Coach Rob Sale this year, who's a no-nonsense, um, you know, hard coaching, uh, fundamental guy. Um, I think that you're going to see not only an improvement in Thomas, but that entire line. Um, but, yeah, that's a conversation that, you know, a lot of people should be talking about. But quite frankly, O-line isn't sexy. And so, you know, you're not going to hear that conversation outside of those that love O-line. We talk about it all the time as offensive linemen. Hey, you know. Um, this pick versus this pick when it comes to tackles or guards or whatever. Uh, but that's kind of what my whole vision objective has been with things like O-line mastermind to hope to help, uh, you know, kind of advance the position and with the big boys club with myself and Jeff Schwartz just put out with some of the top draft picks. We want to kind of peel back the curtain and kind of show you the lifestyle of an offensive lineman, the cerebral part, uh, you know, the X's and O's of how we get on the board and how we train our mind, how we train our body and how we work on our craft, uh, you know, what we eat, what we do. And so that's why we kind of came up with that show we did with Fox Sports, um, you know, just to kind of give a real authentic look into what it takes for a guy that's transitioning from the college game to the pro game. Uh, to really be quote unquote pro ready or at least be in position to be drafted and 
and be an asset to his team. So, um, yeah, to your point, uh, you know, it's going to be interesting to look back at that 2020 draft with those names at the top and kind of look and kind of chart the career trajectory for all of those guys and kind of see where they end up and what they end up accomplishing. Because I think all of those top guys um, have a, a chance to have tremendous careers for their respective teams. By the way, I love the big boys club that you and Jeff Schwartz put together because you're basically teaching and stressing the fundamentals of high school kids before they even get on college campuses, which kind of fast tracks the improvement of offensive line play in the NFL when you start thinking three, four, five years down the line and getting these guys more prepared to be dominant right away. I think that's tremendous. You know, if you had the chance, if you were a general manager and you're picking in the top five, let's say number two or number three overall, and your biggest need is an offensive tackle. Are you feeling better taking a guy from the 2020 class that we were just talking about, or would you rather have had your pick of the Penny Souls and the Rashawn Slaters and the 2021 class? Which class, in your opinion, has a chance to be stronger? I don't think it's about a chance of who, who has to be stronger. I think everything is individually based. And so let's say all these guys from last year and this year were on the board. I think you do your due diligence and you evaluate what is what in terms of traits, critical factors, what a guy can be. And I think many people, hindsight being 2020, everybody will say, oh, we'll, we'll take Wirfs or Beckton because they were so dominant last, uh, this past year as rookies. But, um, you know, I think it's all individual based. I don't think it's about last year's class versus this year's class. I think they all bring something unique. Um, I think once you start to rank them out, there may be some differences there. But for me, I'm probably taking Makai Becton um, at the at the top simply because, again, when we talk about physical traits and physical dominance, uh, there isn't uh, there's not many people that walk around like that with that type of level of physicality, and that's just going in blind, not knowing what Worfs is going to do this year. For sure. And, you know, people who listen to this podcast and people who, you know, obsess about the NFL 24-7, they're already turning the page to 2022 and next year's draft. There's a whole there's a whole class of people on Twitter that that's all they do is is look yeah. ahead to the next year's draft class. If Duke Mannyweather puts on his thinking cap, looks into his crystal ball, who are the one or two offensive tackles to watch that could be top 10 picks next year? Oh, that's a great question. Really right. Great. <laughs> yeah. uh, I like uh, Nick Broker out of uh, out of uh, Ole Miss, really good player. Um, I think that you know just his overall athleticism, what he brings, um, can be pretty unique and pretty special. I like Darian Kennard out of Kentucky, uh, really good player. And then Evan Neal out of Alabama. Um, Evan started at left guard uh, for the Crimson Tide as a true freshman, kicked over the right tackle um, for the Crimson Tide in the national championship uh, year this past year. And then uh, we'll move to left tackle this year. He's a big SOB, physical, moves really well, bends really well for being 6'7 and 345. So um, those are some of the top names, I think, at tackle that to, to kind of keep an eye out. Um, and, you know, I'm really excited with the um, uh, uh, to really dig in and start watching these guys even closer as we start to get closer to college football season. Yeah, it's going to be an exciting fall, that's for sure. Um, talk to me about O-line masterminds. I know the camp is coming up soon. I know that you have the summit and everything that's going on with that and some cool new ventures tied to the summit. Tell me what you have going on with that. Yeah, we've got O-line masterminds coming up in July. Um, this will be the fourth annual O-line mastermind summit that, uh, you know, we're really just 
get all all get in the room and and talk talk the position. Um, again, we talk about mind, body, craft, and what it means to be an offensive lineman. Best practices. We'll watch film breakdowns. We'll do advanced scoutings. We'll bring in orthopedic surgeons. We'll bring in physical therapists. We'll bring in um, you know Hall of Famers. We'll bring in some former coaches, and we just we spend two days just talking shop and best practices and sharing and kind of, you know, just uh, getting our mind in the mode to be able to prepare and be ready for the season. So I'm excited about that. Um, we've got um, a tremendous response already for some, some of the, um, you know, players that are going to be there, Hall of Fame guys that are going to be there. Um, you know, there'll be a couple of college coaches there. We always open it up to our college uh, kids, you know, whoever wants to come. Um, so. It's, uh, it's going to be pretty cool. It's going to be fun. It's going to be exciting. I'm excited for year four. We had a tremendous turnout last year, even in the mid middle of uh, COVID. You know, we took extreme precautions with uh, the testing and, uh, you know, the, the protocols uh, last year. We made sure that everybody was safe um, and we kept everybody safe. So this year is going to be a little more freedom um, in terms of the way to move around with uh just when we're expecting a full house. So O-line masterminds is coming up. And then we've got the final five O-line Academy um, geared towards high school, which is pretty much, it's very similar to the format of what O-line masterminds would be for the pros in college, but this is going to be more intense. It's geared towards, you know, eighth, ninth, 10th, 11th, and 12th graders. Um, and what we want to talk about is fundamentals from the ground up. We want to teach these guys how to watch film. Want to teach these guys how to take care of their body. We'll teach them how to move, how to eat, and that—that's a two-day summit, a two-day, uh, really not really a summit. It's a camp. You know, it's two or three sessions a day. Final5lineman.com um, nice. for any high school um, offensive lineman or O-line coaches that are interested in that. And that's Final5lineman.com. Um, that it is—it's just a tremendous opportunity. Uh, for these guys to get fundamentally coached up, um, you know, kind of learn the way we teach um, and kind of etch things out. And again, the website is final, the word final, and then the the number five, Lyman, L-I-N-E-M-E-N.com. And you can sign up there and register. We, um, we have a Final Five Academy coming up July 17th and 18th here in Frisco, Texas. And it will be done at Sports Academy. And the Sports Academy is right there at the star with a Dallas Cowboys practice. I'm telling you, any kid who wants to be an offensive lineman or make the NFL or has designs of playing D1 ball, you got to go to this. You got to go to final5.com because you you look at Duke Mannyweather imparting his knowledge of offensive line play. That That's so valuable in terms of, of launching your career. So I think it's really commendable what you guys are doing. Yeah, absolutely, man. I thank you uh, for having me on, man. This is a uh, this has been tremendous, and uh, you know, anytime, man. I love talking ball with you, Duke. I appreciate it, everybody. Make sure you follow Duke Mannyweather on Twitter at Big Duke Fifty. Duke, appreciate the time. Good luck with the summits. Good luck with the camp, and we'll talk to you further up the road, my man. No problem, man. I look forward to uh, seeing your order come through on StrikeLeveragedryFinish.com. It'll come through later this afternoon. I guarantee you that. Thanks a lot, brother. Appreciate you. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Matt. Just really great stuff there from Duke Manyweather. And there might not be a better resource when it comes to offensive line play in the NFL and offensive line play generally. If you're a football player, you know, growing up with aspirations of playing in the NFL, 
than Duke Manny Weather. So make sure you go to strikeleveragedrivefinish.com. I know I'll be heading over there to pick up my share of gear to support Duke Manny Weather and his cause in terms of improving offensive line play through all levels of football. But, you know, I thought it was really fascinating, his comments on Mekhi Becton. And we've touched on this and talked about it over previous podcasts, that you look at the situation that Zach Wilson is going to in New York, and it's significantly better, significantly more stable than anything that Sam Darnold ever experienced with the Jets. And I just love what they've done up front. Last year, you get Mekhi Becton. This year, you get Vera Tucker in round one along with Wilson. And I just really believe in the AFC East, it might not be this year, but in the next two years or so, I think the Jets have a legitimate chance and a legitimate opportunity to push for a postseason berth and maybe winning the division. And, you know, it starts up front. And we touched on it with Duke. I think that the teams that find the franchise quarterback and marry the franchise quarterback with a rebuilt and rebuilding offensive line, they're the teams they can have prolonged success. So you look at what the Cincinnati Bengals are trying to do to a certain degree with Joe Burrow. You look at the Jets. You look at the Chargers and what they're doing both with Justin Herbert and in front of him. I think the Giants needed to do a little bit more in front of Daniel Jones during this year's draft. We'll see if Andrew Thomas and Matt Pert, their two bookend tackles that they hope to be bookend tackles, wind up being enough. But those are the teams that I think are doing a fantastic job of marrying young quarterbacks to young and very talented offensive lines. On the other side, we'll answer your questions from the mailbag. We'll give you my thoughts on some of the teams that I think have the chance to really surprise in 2021 and a whole lot more. Keep it locked right here on the Matt Lombardo Show inside Fansided Stacking the Box podcast feed. Underdog Fantasy is the fastest growing fantasy app and easiest place to play fantasy sports. Just jump on underdogfantasy.com or download the app, draft your team, and that's it. And if drafts aren't your thing, they also have a pick'em game where you can win 20 times your money in a single night. Use promo code RADIO, and Underdog will double your first deposit when you sign up with up to $100 in bonus cash. Deposit $100? Get $100 free. That's promo code RADIO. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome back into the Matt Lombardo Show. Again, what fascinating stuff from Duke Mannyweather. And we'll see what happens with Mekhi Becton and Andrew Thomas. I think that's a debate that's going to happen in the Big Apple with the Giants and the Jets and Giants and Jets fans for years to come. And certainly the Chiefs are a team to watch as always. And they're perennially going to be a favorite to go to the Super Bowl. And, you know, you look at their schedule, they're favored to win 16 of 17 games. I think if they get through week one against the Browns, especially after rebuilding their offensive line in front of Patrick Mahomes after what happened in the Super Bowl, there's a real chance they go 17-0. and And, you know, Tyreek Hill is a huge part of that equation. And this is the point of the show where we're going to answer some of your questions. And each and every week, you can tweet me your questions at Matt Lombardo NFL on Twitter. Follow me there and we can, you know, answer the questions on the podcast each week. This comes in from Chiefs Addict 2020. Is Tyreek Hill the best deep threat in the NFL and maybe in NFL history? I know there was some talk about that this week. First of all, thanks for the question, Chiefs Addict. And no, no, he's not. And, you know, Tyreek Hill is a tremendous player. Your nickname is the Cheetah for a reason. And Tyreek Hill certainly has plenty of speed and he's vital to the Kansas City Chiefs 
offense and especially their passing game with Patrick Mahomes. He might be the best fantasy football receiver in the league right now. And he averaged 14.7 yards per reception last year, career high 17 yards per reception in 2018. But you can't have a conversation about the greatest deep threats in NFL history and not include Randy Moss, a first ballot Hall of Famer. And when you watch him play, when you watch what he meant to those Minnesota Viking teams, particularly in 1998, and you look at what he did on Thanksgiving against the Dallas Cowboys, what he did throughout that year with Randall Cunningham, how vital he was as Dante Culpepper's favorite target, you have to include Randy Moss at the top of the list in terms of that conversation. Jerry Rice, the greatest receiver of all time, one of the greatest, if not the greatest, deep threats of all time. I think that Tyreek Hill is in the conversation for best deep threats today, but you also have to remember guys like Deshaun Jackson. In the peak of his career in Philadelphia, he was a game-altering weapon and a downfield receiver who defenses had to change the way they game-planned every week to keep Deshaun Jackson in front of him. Odell Beckham Jr., a great deep threat. And Tyreek Hill, a great deep threat, a great weapon in the vertical passing game. But I think this is one of these arguments where recency bias comes into play tremendously. That if you weren't around to watch Randy Moss in his prime, if your only knowledge of Jerry Rice is the consensus that he's the greatest receiver of all time, and you watch what Tyreek Hill does every Sunday, then yeah, I can see how you might get trapped into thinking that. I just don't know how you can have that conversation as someone who covers the league like Pro Football Focus did this week. Uh, but another question that comes in from Coach AVB, how safe are Kime and Kingsbury if Arizona doesn't make the playoffs? And I don't think they're very safe. I, I think that, you know, Steve Kime has some rope in Arizona. I think that he's relatively safe. But especially when you look at what he's done over the last couple of off seasons, you bring in J.J. Watt bolstering that front seven. You go out and you trade last year for DeAndre Hopkins, bringing in a legitimate downfield vertical threat in the passing game. I think that that buys you some time. And Kyler Murray has shown all kinds of promise through his first two years after being the number one overall pick. So I, I think that the GM here has a, a lot of stability for the next several years that Steve Kime has that Cliff Kingsbury certainly doesn't. I mean, when you look at all of the talent on the roster, when you look at all of the firepower on offense, you look back to last year where they won six of their first eight games and were really in the driver's seat to a lot of extent in the NFC West. And then you finish up the season and you wind up losing five of your last seven that just can't happen. When you're losing down the stretch to a depleted and downtrodden San Francisco 49ers team at home, when you lose by nine on the road to the Los Angeles Rams to end the year, where you lose to the New England Patriots 20-17, to a franchise that at that point of the season was in disarray, if you're Cliff Kingsbury, if you have that kind of year this year, I don't know that he makes it to the end of the season. So the Cardinals are one of those teams that's going to be really intriguing and fascinating to watch, in my opinion, because I think their division got better with Trey Lance going to San Francisco. And I don't think that they're going to be the dumpster fire that they were a year ago with so many injuries on both sides of the ball. I think they'll be better. The Rams have to be considered among the favorites after going out and trading for Matthew Stafford. And of course, the Seahawks are the deepest and most talented team in that division. But the Cardinals should be in that mix with the talent and the overall caliber of play on offense and with Kyler Murray. So if they struggle again, if they struggle to go 500, if they don't sniff the postseason, then yeah, I think Kime is relatively safe, but Kingsbury, 
eh, not so much. And, you know, one other team before we get out of the way here that I'm really going to be watching and really interested in seeing how this plays out for them is the Pittsburgh Steelers. And I think the Steelers might be one of the three to five most interesting and intriguing teams and stories of the year because you want to talk about a guy whose arm fell off down the stretch. If you want to talk about a team whose season came off the rails down the stretch, it's the Pittsburgh Steelers. Their season took a sudden and complete downturn when they lost Bud Dupree for the season with a torn ACL. He's now in Tennessee. But you look at what they've done this offseason, and it's almost evident that they knew that they need to slap a duct tape-sized Band-Aid over this offense and around Ben Roethlisberger with what they did in the NFL draft. I love what they did. I think Najee Harris is the type of pick that takes a lot of pressure off of Ben Roethlisberger. He's a a bruising, shifty, but explosive running back who can also make plays catching the ball out of the backfield, which is going to aid Ben Roethlisberger because you now have a weapon in those underneath routes. I love bringing Pat Fryermuth in to, to operate down the seam. He never dropped a pass in the red zone. As reliable as they come inside the 20-yard line, he's a weapon. And you already have Chase Claypool. You already have Deontay Johnson. You already have Juju Smith-Schuster. So you have the weapons there. Who knows what they're going to be up front. But the Steelers will go only so far as Ben Roethlisberger can throw them. And he couldn't throw them very far down the stretch last year. And what happened in that playoff game when they were run out of the building by the Browns at home in the playoffs? That was the low watermark, in my opinion, of the last decade of Steelers football. And and we'll see how they bounce back from there. Because I think they only go as far as Roethlisberger can take them. And you have to wonder what Mike Tomlin's patience is going to be. If they're 1-3 out of the shoot, if they're 2-6, and six, how long do you stick with Roethlisberger? Because he has the weapons. There's no excuse for them to struggle. And I think the defense is certainly good enough to compete, but they're in a division now with the Browns, the Bengals, and the Ravens, who you can make a legitimate playoff case for all three of those teams. So I think the AFC North has the chance to be one of the more competitive divisions in football, and the Steelers, one of the more interesting situations. So the Pittsburgh Steelers, Ben Roethlisberger's trajectory, they're one of the teams and the storylines that I'm most interested in going into 2021. But thanks for listening. Really appreciate you. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to Stacking the Box podcast on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify, SoundCloud, Spreaker, and Stitcher, all of your podcast locations. Thanks to Duke Mannyweather for his insight on the offensive line. Thanks to Fanside. It's Cole Thompson, who is instrumental in helping put this show together every week. And if you like what you hear, please subscribe. Please leave those five-star reviews. Let me know what you like, what you don't like. And of course, follow me on Twitter at Matt Lombardo NFL. We'll be back next week. I can't wait. Thanks for tuning into the Matt Lombardo Show inside Fanside. It's Stacked in the Box podcast feed. I'm Matt Lombardo, and I'll talk to you next week. So as you graduate and head out into the world, there's only one thing that you need to know. Hi, this is Jamie from Progressive. Yeah, I can talk now. Progressive protects you 24-7. So tell me what happened. Oh, I'm sorry, Gene. Can you give me one second? Um, brush out for every meal. Congratulations and thank you. Sorry about that. I'm back. So tell me about this fender bender. Contact us 24-7 on the phone, online, or on the mobile app. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Covered subject to policy terms.